Hi guys and welcome back to the Female Fitness Podcast. I'm your host Danny, and today I have the pleasure of being joined by James who is an online business and marketing mentor and today we're going to talk about setting yourself up for business success in 2023 because I know that a lot of you guys are online coaches and personal trainers who listen to this. So James, could you give us a bit of a background? How long have you been working in business mentoring? So coming up for three years now, um, and then being involved in business for, well, funny story, probably since I was 11, um, which always shocks uh, you know, a lot of people. But um, yeah, in terms of actual mentoring, three years. Nice. So how did you actually get into that in the first place? So I basically was growing my own business. Um, I kind of had two companies at the time. I was um, a pretty rammed online personal, uh, well, personal trainer in person. Um, and trying to build the online business at the side. Did that um, pretty well, um, and then reached out to Elliot, who obviously we are together now in terms of you know mentoring together, um, and he basically took me on as his first actual mentee, um, and then basically after the first call was like, mate, you're teaching me some things. Okay. So because um, so, I, I pretty much – I love self-learning and self-teaching. So I was kind of like, if I want to do something, I will go all in for it. So I was studying kind of like systems and automations and, and everything like that. Um, and we combined basically. And he kind of said like, look, you're bringing lots to the table that I probably can't offer um, and put two and two together. And three years later, we've got, I think three other, no, four other mentors with us um, running a one-to-one only mentorship. Nice. So, that's cool. And you mentioned you got into sort of like business very early. How did you actually get into that? So this, it makes everyone laugh. Um, so basically, I used my Christmas money to buy some Fred Perry polo shirts from Gumtree. And I sold them at double the cost. Um, and I kept on doing that. So I basically used my Christmas money, brought I remember loading it up onto my mum's card to buy them. She then obviously was like, why have I, why have you got like 20 Fred Perry polo shirts in your bedroom? Sold them at school and also like to like my dad's mates and X, Y, Z, and then just kept on doing it. Yeah. <laughs> Basically. So essentially it's always come pretty naturally to you. And yeah, you I've, I've just always, yeah, I've always loved it. Um, every single thing I just think about is like, it's business. So, yeah. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> and so for anyone listening to this, who's looking to sort of start an online coaching business in the new year, where and sort of how would you recommend to start? Because it's an absolute minefield when you start to think of it. So I've actually had this conversation recently with a lot of people. Um, I think lots of coaches feel like the need and urge to like have to be on Instagram and like their business only has to be on Instagram and that's how they'll grow. But I think if you do want to be an online coach going into 2023, I would obviously, first of all, look at your kind of perfect clientele and I'd actually just be like look realistically where are these people going to be like for example if you're wanting to work with like you know middle-aged mums for example they're probably going to be on Facebook and yeah. they're probably more, you know, more active on Facebook um, and I feel like people struggle to to grow on Instagram at the moment because it's so up and down um, but it's the people that are kind of pushing multi-platform that are doing really well um so i would ultimately find a clientele that you want to work with that you can probably understand as well like you know you don't want to be doing you know muscle building and bodybuilding if you're 
you know, skinny guy or whatever, or vice versa. Um, and then obviously understand where they hang out and where they consume their social media, produce content to help them. Obviously develop a really good coaching service as well. And like right now, to be honest, like being an online coach right now is like the best time because some of the systems right now are like amazing. You know, obviously back in the day, obviously when you probably first started coaching as well, it was like PDFs and, and X, Y, Z, and you had to type every single manual diet plan out one by one. Um, but now, you know, things like Kahuna's, True Coach, X, Y, Z, I would, I would do that. I'd get on a system um, and I would, end of the day, just focus on helping people. And when you focus on helping people, the byproduct will be people coming to you for, for coaching. Yeah. You mentioned sort of identifying a target market. Do you think that's really important at the moment rather than just going in and sort of having the mindset of I'll help everyone and I'll find out who I want to work with? Yeah, I I really, really believe in this. And I don't like pushing something that I haven't experienced myself because I'll be honest, like I used to think it was a load of rubbish. I really did um, until like actually Elliot really drilled it into me because Basically, I went from like a private bodybuilding style gym where I was PTing and obviously I was coaching kind of guys wanting to build muscle, you know, get shredded for whatever. Um, I then went into a pure gym and again, that's another fun, long story, but I went into a pure gym and all of a sudden, like all of the other personal trainers were like functional, trying to help Sally who's 60, but also Kevin who's 40 and Jack who's 20. And then all of a sudden, like, I felt like the urge to like get a pair of bloody, I don't know, like Nike, Metcons, wherever it was, and like start to be this functional trainer. But I was like, wait, no, I'm not. I was like, and all of a sudden I went into Pure Gym and I was becoming what every other personal trainer was like in there. So yeah. then I was just like a number. And I just had this realization. I was like, what am I doing? And it was like, mate, like, don't do that. Be different. So I went basically young guy focused, cleaned up. Yeah, and all the other yeah. personal trainers are like, how are you doing it? I was like, well, because I'm not being like everyone else. And it's the same thing as, you know, being on online, you know, when people try and, because what I find is new coaches and you know what, logically, right. It makes sense to try and help everyone because you think yeah. more people to help. And that's what I was like at the start. Um, but then actually I feel like it confuses people, not only the the person that they potentially want to sign, but also the actual coach, because they're like, Oh, I need to record content, but oh, I don't want to do a, you know, a, a post or video on that because it might annoy the guys. And then I don't want to do that because it might annoy the girls. And then coaches don't produce content. Yeah. So it holds people back. I can fully relate to that. First of all, I started at a pure gym as well. So I can yeah. relate to that sort of atmosphere. But then I sort of went through, my target audience was very much competitive bodybuilders. Yeah. And then... I moved away from competing and my values very much changed. But I was then in this spot where I was trying to target both the general population and competitive bodybuilders. And I just felt so conflicted all the time. Like I had no idea what to do in terms yeah. of content production. And I felt very messy in myself. Like, so I can fully relate to that. Yeah. And that's, that's what happens. And then coaches end up, you know, kind of feeling down, overwhelmed and then they just don't post. And then three months ago, they're like, oh, but he had like two clients sign up. And yeah. it's like, right, you need to strip it all back and come down to like, you know, who do you really want to work with? Like, I just came off of a call with someone because um, I did them kind of free 15-minute strategies. And again, it was just his whole demographic was just completely wrong. 
And I got it out of him and he was like, mate, you've literally cleared up kind of, I didn't know I needed to do it, but you've just explained the reason why I felt like I have for the last three months. Yeah. And I was like, it's just having that person to go do that and that, it will change. Yeah, 100%. I think, you know, that's one of the values of working with people, having mentors, because it takes that overthinking out of it yeah. and it helps to have that objective viewpoint on things. Yeah. And, you know, there's even conversations like, for example, um, we've got like a, an outsourcing agency as well. And we're having a really big growth phase at the moment. And sometimes even I just need like someone to to kind of keep me in the right direction. And I'm quite lucky. I've got a, a kind of guy really, you know, sort of in my corner, sold his company for something stupid, like 400 million, like three years ago. And uh, I WhatsApped him because I was having a bit of like a, you know, some you probably have it some days where you're like, I think I know I'm on the right path, but I just need someone to like really just tell me. And I remember WhatsApping him and like one minute later, he void like video calls me in his apartment in Marbella, like, right, what's up? And I just said, this is it, Paul. And he just goes, don't do that. Focus on that. You're on the right path. And I was like, ah, brilliant. Like that's all I needed. <laughs> you yeah. know? And it's so important to have it because again, like, I think with coaches, obviously social media is great, but it can also be like, he's doing that, she's doing that. Do I need to do that and that? And then you end up trying to copy everyone else and not do what you need to do. So then having someone just be like, keep you in check and be like, no, do that because of this will help you literally push forward probably five times faster. Yeah, 100%. And so with that in mind, we've spoken about how important direction is. Yeah. When it comes to goal setting in business, how far ahead would you usually recommend thinking? So I actually, I thought a lot about this one, actually, because um, I had this the other day. Um, so I'm going to base it off of my own experience and also kind of the issues I've seen recently. So I think you need to go medium term. So I'm talking maybe six months and also long term. I'm talking, but long term, I'm probably talking a year and a half, two years, because what happens is, and I've had it loads recently, is people build up their business like a, well, they build up their coaching like a hobby. And then it gets to the point where, for example, coach A is getting all the clients come to him because it is him. And then they reach like a hundred clients and then they're like, oh, wow, I can't do anything here. I can't scale it because people are coming to my business for me. So then everyone always goes, oh, I wish I called myself something different or I wish I did this. I wish I did that. So you want to think about how you actually want to be in your business when you start long-term because you should start and grow your business with that in mind rather than get to the end or that sticky point where you're like, oh, no, I need to rebrand or, oh, no, I need to do this because it will save you a lot of headache and probably a lot of, again, stress. So think long-term because everything you do in between then needs to be directed towards that. And I like medium-term as well because it doesn't make you rush. And the reason I'm going to say that is because I think sometimes people set short-term and ultimately – you know, sometimes people set too big of a short-term goal and then they get really stressed. They start, you know, they start to rush and then it drops quality. And it's a really vicious cycle to get into. Um, and I think just setting medium is more achievable 
Um, and it's more kind of long-term focused and a lot less stressful. Um, short term's great, but again, I think coming off of this then also just make sure it's realistic. Yeah. Because you can put a lot of pressure on yourself and pressure, as you probably know as well, doesn't always lead into great things. Yeah. I was going to say, because there are some people who sort of advocate setting quite outlandish goals and sort of falling short of them. What's your sort of like thoughts on that thought process? It's really, this is honestly such a hard question because I do also believe in that. Yeah. But I think you've got to believe in that, but also be realistic at the same time and really believe in yourself. Like, I, you know, I actually believe in like sort of like manifestation. Okay. So for example, I once had, you know, an idea that I would get X car in two years time and I got it. And I didn't actually, you know, but I, I think low key believed in that. Um, and from that, I kind of decided that actually, you know what, just realistically look at yourself because I think everyone knows what they're really like deep down. Right? If you know that you can, you're, you're prepared to put all the work in and you'll like probably do whatever it takes to get there. You probably can set yourself quite a big goal, Yeah. but also just, kind of bring it down a level like I'm not going to be like right in a year I want a massive mansion and I want this and I want that just be realistic um because again like you're only going to be like kind of disheartened and disappointed if you don't hit it that's why I think set something it's hard to put it into words but set something like that you probably is like a bit out there but you know it actually can happen not something absolutely ridiculous like you know in two years time I'm just going to fly private jets for example yeah you know and it's like, you've got to have the work ethic. So I'm like, I'm all for manifestation. Yeah. If you've got the work work ethic, yeah. to actually make it happen. <laughs> yeah. 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 I think that's the core really. <laughs> like, you know, if, if like, I, I'm pretty confident in myself that if I set myself a target, like I know I do what I would like do to get there. But, um, you know, if I knew I wasn't in the right space or I didn't have the time, then I would probably pull it back. Yeah, 100%. And so you briefly mentioned sort of scale in a business there. What do we actually mean when we say a scale in a business for anyone that's listening to this? It's like, I'm not really sure how to do that or what it means. So to me, I like to split into growing and scaling. So to me, scaling is like building out your coaching business so you don't have to do more, if that makes sense. So for example, hiring another coach, hiring a success coach, hiring basically a team to scale for example take coach a earning ten thousand pounds a month they're going to be doing graphic design they're going to be doing the captions they're going to be doing x y z so ultimately the the more you you grow the more work you're going to have to do and the more hours you can have to put in so by scaling by removing yourself out you can then push your business forward whereas if you grow you're going to grow to a point because you're going to have to scale because you need more people. And obviously by scale, like I mean, kind of, yeah, basically if you're a coach doing like, you know, for example, 5,000 pounds a month, depending on how you are, you're probably going to be really busy and you're going to be feel like you're spinning loads of plates because you have to do everything. So at that point, you don't need to go, right, I need to start basically delegating and outsourcing to allow me to scale. Yeah, 100%. That's how I see it. Would like automations and things like that come in scaling as well? Definitely. And like automations are great, but again, I think some people automate too much. 
Um, like end of the day, you're still a, a service-based business. I think lots of people at the moment are like trying to automate and completely rebrand into like these coaching companies that are completely like not anything to do with them. And ultimately remember people are still coming for your values and your kind of message. So if you try and automate too much, you're just going to lose that person ability. Um, Cause then the day it still comes down to it is one-to-one coaching. It's still a personal relationship. So I always choose a personal relationship over just trying to like generalize everything. So someone comes on, it's like clockwork. I think it just comes down to you know how you want to run your business really. But to me, I always still like a one-to-one element because that's how I get fulfillment. Um, but I spoke to a guy called Justin this morning. Um, he's a property property mentor. And we both said like, you know, we could quite easily do like a group, for example, but we like one-to-one because we believe in it and that's how we like to do things. Um, but, you know, we could automate. Like I, I could right now automate our whole mentoring, but it wouldn't have the value that we give one-to-one yeah and the people who you're serving at the end of the day probably wouldn't get quite as good results because you know they're not getting that personal touch and they probably wouldn't have as much they wouldn't believe in it as much yeah and also like you know when you don't have that touch base with someone you do sometimes think like well what am I ultimately I know I'm getting value from it but like you still want to talk to someone don't you like you uh, you know even with anything you know you go into any shop or whatever like you still want a human interaction because it's it's what we want we're humans um so i think you know when people try and automate like so much it's just it's just crazy really and i think it can actually kill a business yeah and within on that subject within like online coaching are there certain elements of the process that you would say don't ever automate that so again it's so different but it's difficult because there's so many different variables like if there's a coach for example getting you know 200 leads a week you probably are gonna have to automate your inquiry process i'm not a big fan of that but when it comes to the point you have to like there's no way that you can literally like respond to people have loads of conversations with loads of people about signing up yes you could probably hire someone to do that for you but it probably does make more sense to automate it because it's going to filter out ultimately the people that do actually really want to come onto your service. Um, I think onboarding you can automate because again, I don't think you need to repeat yourself all the time. And I think I see a lot of coaches that are like doing these 20 minute walkthroughs and they're explaining their sheets or their app every single time and we're all human. And it will come to a time where you're like, Oh, my energy's dipping now because I've literally just done five onboarding walkthroughs and I've just repeated myself. So it's like, you know, client A or the first client is going to get a really good onboarding video. And then client five is going to have like a, right, here's your sheet, like blah, blah, blah. So you're going to lose your quality. So I think looking at what you can do, like if there are certain things in your business that you're like, this is getting repetitive and actually I don't need to do this, automate it. But Things like, you know, check-ins, for example. I hear some coaches, like, trying to automate check-ins. I think that's wrong. Yeah. Big time. Like, yeah. Like, that's just completely wrong, in my opinion. Um, Because, again, people are paying you for your thought process. So definitely don't automate check-ins. But I would say automate inquiry process if you need to and, like, you really can't cope with inquiries. And I'd probably say automate onboarding so you don't repeat yourself. Again, it's only going to improve your efficiency. 
Um, and I would say try and automate any client reminder if you can, because again, like you don't want to be chasing clients and it's a lot of time. Um, and that's what I'd do. But yeah, I wouldn't automate check-ins. I know a lot of people try it, Like, there's lots, lots of people trying to like, you know, grow their business, but work less or whatever. Like you can do that, but you've got to work less in the right areas <laughs> basically. Yeah, definitely. I personally like would never want to automate the check-in process. Cause I think no. that's like what the clients are paying for your expertise. And if you're yep. not one doing the adjustments and talking to your clients, like what's the point? I saw um one one automation once. It was like a decision tree. And it was like, if you know, this is a question. If yes, move here. If no, what like and the end of like a few of the trees were like, brilliant, crack on for another week, sort of thing. And I was like, that is so bad. Like in my opinion, that is so bad. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine <laughs> paying yeah. that and just being like, crack on. <laughs> it's like great, right. thanks for your service. <laughs> And so before we consider sort of scaling a business, what fundamentals would you say from a business structure and function perspective is important to actually have in place? Service delivery. Service delivery and client relationship is is core, like literally. Like, are you confident that you can get a result? Are you know, are there any areas in your business that potentially are lacking? For example, oh, I keep getting the same question all of the time in week two. Right, you need to make sure that you've got your onboarding nailed, right? Because it's these certain things that when you do start to have bigger intakes and you do start to scale, A, you can't scale a, a bad service. Well, you can scale a bad service, but it's going to come crumbling down very quickly. And B, like if you scale a messy and not efficient service, you're going to end up spending so much time on things you shouldn't do and it's going to actually make it hard to scale because yeah. you're going to get lots of drag. Um, and also that's another thing is like really trying to remove yourself because if you scale, you don't want to be like doubling your time. The idea of scaling is actually reducing your time. And the most important question you need to ask yourself is, do I actually need to be doing this? Like, do I actually require to do that or do this? Because a lot of the time you don't like things like admin and stuff, like coaches still like to do admin, but ultimately there are certain things in your business that you can let go of. So it's like, again, it's improving efficiency. So to, you know, to come down to the core, it's basically quality service and then efficient systems and delivery and scale it. Yeah. If you haven't got that, you run into big problems. Yeah, 100%. I agree with that. I think it's like, it's like, obviously, you know, when you build in a house, you've got to have the, the foundations in place to be able to build on top of that. Um, and I think far too many people, especially like new coaches in the industry, are looking at things like scaling before they've even started actually coaching. We um we always say we've seen more people do more damage by scaling too quick than, you know, scaling slowly and taking it taking it that way. Because you, you like you can ruin a business and you can ruin a reputation by growing too quickly. Yeah, a hundred percent. With that in mind, is there anyone that's like ever come to you for business mentoring that you've like turned away or said, go and you know work on like actually coaching first before we work on scaling? One hundred percent. Because ultimately, I looked at his last kind of six months and it was like I actually explained it to someone uh, just earlier. It was like 
month is like that. So massive intake, loads of cash collected. It went like that. Then it went like that. <laughs> then it went back up. And I was just like, what's happened? He's like, oh, get a drop off at like week six. I was like, why? And we just looked into everything. And I was like, mate, like you need to completely actually focus on delivering a good service and getting client results and fixing that leaky bucket. Because otherwise, you know, I could bring you on, but I don't really want to because A, you're just going to keep going like that. But also B, it doesn't sit right with me because I only want to help people grow that can actually like deliver a good service. Yeah. That makes- you know, just by looking at your, and you know what, like lots of people don't do that. I think lots of coaches focus on growth and actually it's cheaper and easier to keep a client than it is to get a new client. And there's so many conversations I've had with people that go, oh, you know what? If I actually fixed my retention, I'd be at this right now. But then ultimately, you've given that client or lead a bad impression. So to win them back, it's going to be super hard. Yeah. And ultimately, I think there are a lot of coaches in the industry, especially new people seeing online coaching and thinking, oh, my God, like it's a great way to make money, a great lifestyle from what it looks like. And they completely like neglect focusing on the basics and looking after the people that are under them when if they did that they would probably grow much faster via inquiries and things like that anyway yeah and it there's there's a big battle it's like selling and marketing and being a good coach as people will say you just have to be a good coach and you'll grow yes no like if you want to wait three years do it but combine be a really good coach combine sales and marketing and you'll have a really good business. But yeah. don't have don't be a bad coach or a semi-good coach and just focus on sales and marketing. And don't just focus on being a good coach because, again, well, you can if you want to play slow game. But, again, the industry is moving so quickly. So, you know, if you know, like this year it's been ridiculous. Like what was working last year hasn't worked this year or right now towards a – probably say Q3 and Q4 – like there's lots of coaches right now that have just been posting content and having loads of inbound. And they're like, wow, it's going a bit quiet. It's like, yeah, things are changing. Lots of things are changing. And you just have to do things differently. But it's the good coaches that are focusing on that, that if they don't keep on top of sales marketing, they will fall behind. Yeah. Have you found like this structure of the way that you sort of business mentors changed quite a lot with the the sort of industry changing? Massively, even like how I first grew my business is like completely different now. Yeah, it really is. Like it, it's it's crazy. Um, I think you know we work with multiple industries as well. Like for example, I've got a couple of accountants on my books. I've got construction companies. Like I see the whole broad range of industry as well. So that's why I like you know, and we really look at trends because we can then really push and see what's working. Um. And yeah, like twice, it's completely different, but it really is. Um, hence why our whole structure has just completely changed. Like we actually had a call about this this morning, actually. Um, and we said like, we looked at our kind of, well, we don't have an overview, but we have a rough, like, here's what we could potentially cover. Well, obviously yeah. everyone's at different stages. So, you know, um, and it's like, it's like probably like three times the size. Yeah, it's so interesting. And so when it comes to like scaling your online business, obviously we have different options. We've we've spoken a little bit about automation and things like that. What are the other options? And is there any that you generally tend to 
favor or like swing towards when it comes to progressing in the fitness space? Yeah. So you have, to me, you have two options. So option one is, and again, it comes down to your business goals and your values. So for example, option one is you are a coach and you've got your systems pretty nailed. Your capacity is pretty decent. Okay. But, and also you could probably increase your capacity but you can't because you're like, you're doing everything, you're doing your content editing, you're doing your emails and everything like that. Like if you did a big list of like, right, this is what I do on a weekly basis. It takes me X amount of time. Most coaches could probably drop off 25 hours of stuff they don't need to do, pay someone X amount, but then it frees up 25 hours to take more clients on. That's one way. The other way is obviously hiring a team of coaches underneath you. And to me, there's, again, two ways of doing this. You either have um, silent coaches where they just kind of work beneath you and it's like you come in with a team and no one really knows who it is, but you just have a coach. Or you have a kind of um, active coach where they're on socials, they're promoting you. And obviously from a business perspective, it's smarter because, well, it depends on your lead gen. If you know that you've got lead gen on tap and you've got leads coming in, then you could probably have a silent coach. But yeah. if you're smart, you could pick a a coach or a an athlete that is doing really, really well from a physique perspective. They've got great knowledge, but they can't do business. Pick them because not only are they going to bring traffic to your business, but you can then pivot their audience and their network to help you grow as well. Yeah. Um, but I spoke to a coach today. They're under another coach, but the coach doesn't give them any leads and his profile isn't big enough to generate his own leads. So to me, that is like a pointless connection. Yeah. Because it's not benefiting either of them. So you've got to really think about how you want to do it. Like to me, I would think tactically and just think, right, you know, for example, people want paid ads. I would be like, yeah, if I was trying to hire another two coaches, I'd try and find two good coaches, good content, good engagement, good following. Because if you've got a combined following of like eight to 10,000, you know that every single day, your your business and your coaching brand is going in front of eight to 10,000 people. Yeah. Definitely. And it's a lot warmer rather than random people coming from ads. Yeah. And when it comes to hiring other coaches, do you think it's important to take into account the personality type of the coach that you're hiring in regards to is it smart to hire someone who might one day want to go off and run their own business yeah you're gonna laugh at this right so I've got a really good really good analogy about this (laughs) so um in business you have a unicorn right and a unicorn is basically someone that's glorified so you know they, they they've got what it takes to do what they want to do okay they could probably do their own socials they could do their own lead gen they could do their own coaching okay or so unicorns eventually will probably realize that they're they're good and they'll probably go off and fly because they can right you have a you have horses as well okay so horses would always just be a horse you can't you know you could whack a horn on a on a horse but it's not going to be a unicorn okay mm-hmm. so a horse will just continuously just be what you want them to be because they're not going to have the aspiration like a unicorn. They don't really know how they can go and what they can be. So you want to hire a horse 
by horse, I mean probably someone that hasn't got the biggest aspirations, but has got a really good kind of, you know, um, profile. Some people also don't actually want to run their own business. Yeah, I was going to say like, They actually don't. Like some, to beat some people are like, you know, oh, I'll give you three grand a month and you can do X, Y, Z. They're like, brilliant. I don't have to work in this job. and I can work on my laptop. But if you find someone that like is already trying and an X, Y, Z, like I said, like a unicorn, it's probably only going to end one way unless you're in, you know, you incentivize them enough, which is hard because it's, yeah, again, it's going to get to a point where, you know, the ceiling is going to come down. Yeah. And then you're going to get friction of like, I want more money. It's like, oh, but, you know, and it's just going to end up in a battle, which will then probably lead lead them to leave. Yeah. And it's like, what what do you do in that situation in terms of like, do they keep the clients? Do the clients stay in your exactly. business? Exactly. Like... It just gets messy. Yeah. And it's like, and it also looks on socials, like you get all the questions like, oh, what's happened and all of this. It's like, because if you do take on a unicorn as well, they're probably going to have, you know, they're probably going to want to explain things and stuff like that. So I, I think you personally, again, also it's someone you want to work with. Like, yeah. you know, when it comes down to personality, I'm all about building a really good team that understand and care about each other. And if you know that you're hiring someone that you don't really fully know is that or trust, don't bother because it will literally only end in, in one way and it'll be bad. Yeah. What do you think in terms of, do you think it's better to hire a coach who's almost like a mini version of you or someone who has a different skill set and brings something different to the business? Oh, good question. Uh, you know what? I'm probably going to say different skill set. Yeah. Because otherwise you might conflict. I'd, I'd say skill set. Like, end of the day, when you hire, you want to look and you want to go, this is the best thing I ever learned. It was like, what am I really rubbish at? That. So why am I actually doing it? When I could actually hire someone in to come and do it better than me and get better results? Yeah. I suppose, like, maybe different skill sets, same values. Big time. It's got yeah. to have the same values. Like, for example, you could have a great salesman that's great at sales but his value is like, I'm going to spam every single person on the internet, right? And he might send out or he might do like a thousand phone calls a day and get like five sales. That's great, but you've just burned for a load of leads, <laughs> you know? So you have got to have the values. I think value is core and that's like the most important thing. And then the skill set comes second, in my opinion, because again, you've got to have the values. It's got to be right. Yeah, definitely. And um, do you think if you were sort of hiring someone, it's important to keep that relationship between you and the person you've hired, like, quite strictly professional? Or do you think like, it's actually important to have a bit of a friendship there? So I've hired my best friend for the last four years. Yeah, I, I'm actually family friend for like 12 years. Just have to set boundaries. And you have to, like, people always say, how do you do it? But we know that we have a relationship in work. And as soon as we're at that office door, we're different, you know, with, with our friend relationship. But you have to have respect for each other. And I'm firm and he's firm. And yeah. it works. But you, you just have to you just have to be firm. That That's the key thing. If you don't set boundaries, it won't work like, at all. Like, for example, like, you know, if I'm hearing a door shut, he will knock. And it's just a boundary I've set because otherwise he'll just keep flying in 
you know, but most people wouldn't do that and they wouldn't have the kind of courage to do that. But you have to think this is a business. This isn't a, a place where we can, you know, we're all friends, but we're all working at the same time. It's a business. Yeah, I suppose I can relate it to sort of like working with friends as clients. So yeah. in the past, I've done it and it hasn't worked because I haven't set those boundaries. But I now yeah. coach my best friend yeah. and I have a work phone and a personal phone. Yeah. So I've said to her, like, on my personal phone, you're not allowed to talk to me about coaching. On my work phone, you can. And like when we're together outside of the check-in process yeah. and the coaching process, we don't talk about her her coaching. Um, and she has to message me on my work phone and that works really well exactly and you know I, I remember I coached one of my best friends about four years ago and it just didn't work because again you just don't have you don't have that respect for each other I don't think you know yeah. it's kind of like oh she told me I'm cheating on my diet or whatever it's like oh you know but it's you just have to have that respect because otherwise it's a waste of your time and their time yeah, 100% but it does work if you have the boundaries it, it does work it, it literally and you know what I think it's the best thing ever yeah. But you have to have boundaries. Otherwise, you probably won't have a friend anymore. <laughs> Put yeah. <it> that way. <laughs> and you sometimes have to have like almost quite difficult conversations as well. And you have to be willing to have those conversations rather than just being like, oh, I don't want to have that conversation because it's my best friend. I don't want to ruin that relationship. But in reality, you're going to ruin the relationship if you don't have the conversation. I've had one of the hardest conversations I've ever had in my life. And it was the best thing ever. Yeah. Literally changed everything really yeah but it's because we had that boundary I knew I could do it and so in terms of hiring coaches would you recommend that someone hires other professionals before coaches in terms of like helping them with lead gen and things like that or would you recommend hiring a coach first to be fair it depends on where the business is at like obviously yeah. if you've got things nailed then um well say for example like right i want to grow but i'm not getting enough leads then right hire someone for marketing and lead gen or mentoring for example and then once you've got that then hire a coach but also if you're a coach and you've got like loads of leads and you're getting like fully booked and you're stressing and overwhelmed then hire a coach yeah just depends because like i said so many people hire a coach but they don't have lead gen in place and then it just flops because like that, you know, they get all excited. I've got a new coach. The other coach is like, yeah, brilliant. And it's like, oh, where's my leads? It's like, I don't know, <laughs> you know? So it just doesn't work. Because then the other coach is like producing content and X, Y, Z. And they're like, well, I'm not really getting anything out of this. Yeah. And I suppose you need to communicate as well. I don't have a coach with me, but like, I suppose if you did, you need to communicate really clearly on what like who's doing the lead generation like okay. where are the leads coming from are you going to provide them to the coach that you've hired or do they have to get their own and that probably has an impact on what the sort of pay is like and yeah. how much of a cut you might take and things like that yeah yeah big time um and, and that's it and again it's it's just and again it all comes down if we go back to the goals it comes down to where you want to be like do you want to build a team of coaches or do you want to be solo and do you just want to have an like, easier life? Like, do you just want to do check-ins and client WhatsApp and nothing else? You can. Yeah. It just depends on how you want to do it. And I think it's re that's a really important point that people recognize there's nothing wrong with that because especially on social media, people will see these like massive coaching businesses yeah. and people showing that they're doing business in a certain way and think that they have to do that when in reality, there's nothing wrong with not even wanting a business and wanting to be hired by someone instead 
or actually wanting to, you know, sit at a certain level of income, which, you know, might not be the highest, but that might be where you're happiest. Yeah, I've had conversations with people that have scaled coaching to seven figures and pulled it back because they didn't like it and didn't enjoy it. Yeah. Because it, like, again, you get so caught up in the chasing and the growing and then you get to the top and you're like, actually, I really don't want this and I really don't like this. Because what comes with that is like, a way more stress like you know sometimes people you know people want a less stressful life and like a really easy life and that kind of instagram life running a company like that it probably isn't that way like to me that life is like you know earning five to ten grand and just doing your coaching and having everything else outsourced that's probably the easiest way if you just want like an easier life but if you want to grow a business and you know you maybe want to build up so much in like two years and three years buy a load of property and then pull it back you can but again it just comes down to your core goal of of where you want your business to be and also your life to be because yeah you know do you want to be abroad do you want a family do you want properties do you you know again you need to think about these things when you start to grow because it'll all matter in the end yeah with that being said do you think it's important to sort of establish what your personal life goals are before you start to grow and scale a business and set business goals Hundred percent, because I've seen so many people not do that, get to where they wanted to be business wise, but they don't. They don't like their life. Yeah. And if you don't like your life, it's not a nice place. Yeah, it's really interesting. Someone said to me not long ago as well that sometimes, like, you almost have to push the boundaries to realize where your sort of happy place is. Yeah. So a lot of people will get to that point where they've pushed it a bit too far and be like, "Oh, actually, this is not making me happy. I'm going to scale back." And it's, it's okay. This is the other thing. People think it's like not okay to do that. It's so okay to do that. Like if you want to earn five grand a month, like, and just live happily ever after, you literally can. It'd be a great life. Because again, I think loads of people forget, right? If you look at like the average person, like look at the average income in the UK, it's like 1,400 pound a month. Like, if you're earning five grand, like my mum's like head of literally like a nurse, like a ward or whatever, matron. I know someone that's like literally doing like 10 hours a week, like online coaching, earning more than that. It's like, sometimes you need to like pinch yourself and go, you know what? Like I'm actually doing really, really well. <laughs> you know, it's like yeah. five grand to a lot of people with a lot of money. Yeah. I think and that's you can, a really you know, point you, you can live a lovely life on five grand a month. Yeah, exactly. And again, I think it's just a lot of the time people get caught up in chasing what success looks like on social media, for example, rather that's than it. actually thinking, what do I want? Yeah, and that's that's why again you just have to like really what do you want like what do you actually want you know do you want to have weekends off do you want this do you want that and mold it around it because like i said you will like and i almost guarantee this you'll keep pushing you'll get to the point where you've pushed too much and it will not align with your personal life and you'll be in a really weird position yeah So we've spoken about a few things there that are probably like come under this umbrella, but what are some of the most common mistakes you see people make when it comes to trying to grow and expand their fitness business, often specifically like in a new year, like when it comes to January, what mistakes do you see people making? Running challenges at like half the price of what their normal coaching is. (laughs) That is like literally the worst thing any coach could do at a new year. Because you undersell yourself. Like people do it because, like, let's be honest, everyone loves a challenge. Everyone's in that mindset. It's great. 
but you attract the wrong people or you attract people that want it because like, oh, it's cheaper, then they probably don't stick to it. Then you can't sign them up again. Or if you sign them up at like £200 for 10 weeks and then your coaching service is £200 a month, try getting to the end of that and then going, oh, do you want to sign up to monthly? But it's £200 for a month actually instead of 10 weeks. Yeah. I don't do it. Like focus on your core coaching product, get your content right and sign people up for your monthly. Or like, you know, if you can convert really well, go for it. Okay. But don't, like you'll get lots of coaches that will kind of desperately want leads and they'll just desperately do a challenge. Like you see some coaches doing like 10 challenges a year. Yeah. That's, that's what I would not recommend. I was going to say, what do you think of fitness challenges on the whole? Like, do you think they can be done well? They can be done so well. You can either do them really, really good up to your level of normal standard service, but charge for it. Um, you know, pull them in at the point of a challenge, do your normal sales process, sell them at a good rate, or do a cheaper buy-in, but water down the service. So they'll still get a good result, but it is, you know, for example, when you get to that 10-week mark, it's like, oh, I've done really good. Like, I've done really, really well. Yeah, you have. And you know what? You've done it at like half the standard service. So imagine my full service, what we could do. You know, like, you, you know, we, you've done this well with bi-weekly check-ins. We can go to weekly. Imagine the changes we can make all the time. Yeah. So it's that, those are the, that's like the, you know, the only two ways to do challenges in my opinion. Yeah. Oh, really over deliver, but charge for it. But don't advertise price because people won't do that. Or advertise price, get people on a low price point, water down the service. They'll be amazed, but then upsell them into your normal coaching. Yeah, I think certain personality types like myself yeah. don't do too well with challenges. Yeah. Like I've done, I've not done a challenge before, but I did like um an eight week group coaching service, which yeah. was education based, and I very much struggle to under deliver. Like I always over deliver, yeah. so I charge less, but I just ended up basically one to one coaching them all. Exactly, and then yeah, so you're literally like, yeah, well, I've just explained. (laughs) Exactly, so like, could fully relate to that. (laughs) But it happens. It happens. But end of the day, you know, you got them a good service. They might refer someone. But more often than not, like I said, you want to try and get them on your monthly, and it just doesn't happen. They're like, oh well, why would I pay double for the same thing? (laughs) You know, it's like, oh yeah, yeah, when they've achieved what they want to achieve anyway. Literally, (laughs) literally, they're great, but just for the right thing basically yeah definitely and when it comes to like frequency of challenges say someone does a challenge and they do it really well um, would you recommend that they have it like sort of consistently running throughout the year or would you fit more favor like less frequent launches less frequent launches and look at the calendar so post-jan pre-summer post-summer pre-christmas yeah i'd probably say four challenges a year not only from obviously from a psychology perspective of your consumer, that's probably when they're wanting to like, they probably muck things up and they want, you know, not a quick fix, but they want to just get in, get out. Um, you know, people have that mindset. Um, and also it's when, you know, people are potentially more likely to, um, you know, kind of invest. And for example, pre-Christmas, if there's a cheap challenge, people are probably do it. Yeah. Pre-summer you might be able to do a more expensive challenge because people are more, you know, yeah, actually I want to go away to IB for looking the nuts this year, right? I'm going to pay £500 for a, for a 10-week challenge. So again, it, it look at the time of the year, but also look at your customers' spending habits and behaviours. 
and then relay it like that. That's what I would do. Yeah. And you mentioned pricing there a little bit on the subject of transformation challenges. What do people need to actually consider when they're choosing their prices for one-to-one coaching and their pricing structure in general? And is there a particular pricing structure that you tend to sort of lean towards? Pricing structure, I do it depending on level of service and also the coach's confidence and ability to sell. Because, you know, for example, I had a call with someone the other week and he's tried to sell like 997, you know, glorious 997 for like the last year. He's had 52 sales calls and it's closed seven. So I said, do you really think 997 is a good price point for you? No, actually, no. Now I thought about it, no. (laughs) Right, you know? So it's like, right. So I would actually probably pull back, get confident, and then push back up or look and go, why aren't you confident in selling that? Are you happy with your service? Are you getting client results? You know, so rework. So there's always going to be like an element of like how you feel. Okay. Like for example, um, some coaches do high ticket. I personally don't believe in high ticket, so I would not be able to sell it. Okay. It just doesn't sit right with me. So again, I, you know, I could charge that, but I, I can't essentially. So that's the core for your pricing. Um, and I think when you're starting out as well, don't be afraid to kind of reduce it to get your confidence and also just to get people on board. When it comes down to um, kind of other structures, um, I think anything from kind of one, two, five to probably two, two, five now is, is going to be a good range. Um, and yeah, again, it just comes down to, to, to you. I think in terms of a challenge, what people do is, and any coaching service and any price, value per hour, right? I actually mentored, well, I still mentor a guy. Um, very, very little pricing was tax, VAT registered, spent a lot of time. And I worked out after taxes and his time, he was getting like maybe 35 quid. Really? I said, is it worth? And he was like, he was actually like, oh my, what am I doing in my life? You know, it's like, it does come down to that because, you know, everything is value per hour because ultimately related, you know, uh, kind of trigger it back to a job. If you were doing, for example, um, you know, working in Tesco, you might get 12 pound an hour. If you're charging a hundred pound a month for your coaching service and you're doing an hour of onboarding and walkthroughs and programming, you're doing... 15 minute check-in feedbacks. You're spending maybe an hour per client a week on WhatsApp. You may be doing eight to 10 hours. So really you're 10 pound an hour for yeah. that month. And then all, and then that's when it really wakes you up. Cause you're like 10 pound an hour. And actually I feel like I'm always WhatsApping. I feel like I'm always working, but I'm only getting 10 pound an hour in theory. Yeah. And when someone's starting out as an online coach or personal trainer, would you ever say that there's a time and a place for offering your service for free? Uh, Right. You know what? If you, if you're struggling, you need to get results, speak to friends and get them on for free. Um, There is negatives to that though, because if there isn't no monetary value, I feel like there's no like drive. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, I probably wouldn't, I'd probably just start cheap. I, I just fully believe you need to have monetary value for someone to actually care. Cause mm-hmm. I know that if I've spent X amount of money, I'll, I'll do it or do some of it at least. But if it's a free, I'll probably wouldn't do it. 
Exactly. It goes back to as well, coaching your friends for free. Like the ones I did that. <laughs> yeah. The ones that didn't work for me yeah. back in the day, like when I was first starting at Pure Gym, were when I coached my friends for free and they were just like, yeah. They just basically came to the session to chat and feel like they were doing something. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, what am I doing here? <laughs> and actually, yeah. you know, the, the whole goal is to get them a result. You're not going to get them a result because they're not going to do it. So charge. That that's that's that solved. <laughs> Yeah. And in terms of um, when you're sort of talking to a client and they're interested in your coaching service, are you one to recommend consultation calls? Yes. Yeah. With clients. Yeah. yeah you've, you've got to build a relationship with that person. Yeah. And also not only that, but you know, like when you're again, it, ten, it comes down to your target market. Like if you're targeting gen pop and you're just like in the DM, you get a training plan, you get a diet plan, you get a check-in, you get this, you get that it's 200 pound a month. That means nothing to the general population. So they're not going to see the value of your service. So in my opinion, it has to be a call. Definitely. Yeah. I also find that when like you've had calls with clients, you then have a much better coach client relationship. Fully agree. And the whole thing just works so much better. Fully agree. Fully agree. Like you actually understand that person, which is key for anything. Like you, like, you know, the key in coaching is like, you know when to push someone and you know when to pull someone back. And would if you, you don't ever, really know that person, you you can't. Yeah. And would you ever like advocate um someone charging for those consultation calls? No. There's some people that do, but yeah. Uh okay, again, it depends on who you are as a if you rant and you're getting loads of inquiries and you're fed up of getting on a call with someone who just wants to chit chat, charge. But yeah. If you've qualified someone well enough and they've come for your sales funnel, get on for free. Yeah, that's cool. And for anyone who's listening who just heard you say that and was like, what the hell? What is a sales funnel? <laughs> <laughs> so so okay, so I've just I've just made the the common error of use fancy language to make something sound <laughs> sound amazing, right? It's just how someone comes into your business, <laughs> basically. Application form, DM, book a call directly. Okay. You've got your content, you've got maybe a lead magnet. It's going to nurture people to inquire. You then get them on a call, you then sell them. That's a sales funnel. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so you don't need to apologize. I just knew like in the back of my head, I was like, some people will listen and be like, what is that? <laughs> it, it's it, it's not some magic system that people <laughs> believe it to be. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately. No, I completely get that. But no, this has been a fantastic podcast, James, and really appreciate your time. No, it's a pleasure. Before we wrap up, is there any sort of like number one bit of advice you would give to anyone who owns their own fitness business going into the new year? I would say look at 2022. Look at 2022 and look what's worked. Look what you've enjoyed. Look what hasn't worked and learn from that. Because otherwise you're going to go into 2023 and you're going to make the same mistakes. Yeah. Data, there's a reason why the best bodybuilding coaches in the world track data. And then they make decisions off of the data. Yeah. Same with companies, like big companies. They don't just go, yeah, I reckon I'll do that. They've got like, I reckon I'll do that. But here's why my rationale behind why I say this. It's like, oh, yeah, the numbers never lie. Same thing. Like, I would do that. Like, if, like, if, yeah, before anything, before looking at anything, look at how this year's gone. Yeah. I love that. And obviously it's something that a lot of coaches will be able to 
understand in their own minds as well because they get their clients to track data and look at their that's how they make progress ultimately yeah like that's the the key thing you know what like i teach it really really well mentees and it changes businesses it literally does because it kind of wakes you up it's like oh this week was quiet okay then what did you do this week compared to last week oh half of what i actually did last week there you go you haven't got a problem with your your funnel or whatever or your content or anything it's just you haven't actually done what you did last week, which is equal to X. Yeah. And so if anyone's listening to this and they want to find you on social media or work with you, where can they find you? So find me on Instagram. So James Vogel. It's Ellie because everyone always gets it wrong. Um, so James Vogel. I'm on Facebook as well. Um, and yeah, I've got, an e- I've got a, a free email list as well if you want to join that. Um, but to be honest, like, my DMs are always open. I'm I'm not going to try and like sell you in DM or whatever. Like I literally just like helping people as well. So if you, if if you do want some advice, just feel free to drop me a voice note. I don't mind voice notes either. <laughs> Love that. So anyone listening, if you want to find James or contact James, I will put his details in the description yep. down below. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen. If you do enjoy the podcast, please do like, subscribe and leave a comment down below and I'll see you in the next one.